welcome to Chandler United Methodist Church Online. It is your willingness to make that difficult connection between a growing discipleship and intentional financial support, which is the reason this church continues to be faithful in mission and ministry. Jesus is the one who told us that the best metric to measure one's faith is to ask where we put our money, because it reveals where our heart is. There are links for online giving in the email that put this in your inbox, and they are also on the church webpage. These hot months are a good time to pause, to pull back, to allow ourselves retreat, a time in which we can be restored. We have been looking at, we have been contemplating a few Old Testament passages that would have been known quite well by Jesus, would have affected how he understood himself, how he saw his world, and his role in it. School started recently around these parts, and I don't think that I'm going out on a limb to say that when we were in junior high and high school, we became very interested in poetry in English class out of a deep desire for intimacy. We wanted to find romance is what we wanted. Shakespeare about a light on yonder window. It was exciting to us when we were younger. As I've gotten older, I, th I think about those times, and I think that maybe we just wanted someone to be close with us. We longed for intimacy. Last week, we looked at a text that was filled with biblical intimacy about our closeness with God. Psalm 139, Lord, you have searched me and known me. We long for that. And it turns out the Bible is full of poetry, and biblical poetry brings us into an awareness of our intimacy with God. Genesis 1, the first book of the Bible, begins with, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was empty, a formless mass, cloaked in darkness. The Spirit of God was hovering over its surface. Then God spoke, saying, Let there be light. And there was light. It is poetry. Not so much an exact accounting, because no one was there. It's not a police report where someone says, All right, tell me what happened. Police reports lead to arguments and conflict about who saw what and who remembered what and what that proves and what that means. This is the problem that we run into when people start using the Bible to prove things. The Bible is full of poetry, and poetry leads to a deep, intimate awareness with the mysteries of God's creation. It, it leaves us wonder-filled. It leaves us silent. 
It pulls us out beyond what we can hold and touch and describe and control. It pulls us to what we aspire to be and what we aspire to do and what is possible in God. John's Gospel begins, In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word was in the beginning with God and the Word created everything there is. Nothing exists the Word did not make. Life itself was in Him. And this life gives light to everyone. The light shines through the darkness. And the darkness can never extinguish it. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable and it keeps no record when it has been wronged. Love is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth is told and wins out. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Ecclesiastes declared, There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to rebuild, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter and a time to gather, a time to embrace, and a time to turn away, a time to search, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be quiet, and a time to speak up, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. The Song of Songs whispers these words, Compared to others, my beloved is like a lily among thorns, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. And compared to others, my love is like the finest apple tree in the orchard. I am seated in delightful shade, and the fruit of our love is delicious to eat. He brings me to the banquet hall so everyone can see how much he loves me. Oh, feed me with your love, for I am utterly lovesick. Or the poetry of God from our text passages today from Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. This is powerful poetry. These are powerful words. And Jeremiah resists the call of God. And it is not because he does not understand the power of words or image. 
It's precisely because Jeremiah does understand. He argues that he is too young and inexperienced to wield such power and too timid to stand against the wickedness of his nation. And after Jeremiah's protest, God promises to put words in Jeremiah's mouth. And God speaks in poetry. The case is closed. Jeremiah will function as a prophet of God to the southern kingdom of Judah against false prophets and against bad kings who lie and deceive and only serve themselves. Jeremiah is not all that different from us. God says that Jeremiah was formed and set apart and appointed. Formed, set apart, and appointed. It is true of every one of us. The call of God shown in numerous biblical stories is to us all. It's present in our lives. It is a dangling participle. It is a hanging nail. It is an irritant for our soul, a beckoning. It is the whisper of the divine. It is the sense of eternal silence. It is the nudging toward the sacred. It is the poem you cannot shake. It is the rhyme you seek. To turn toward God means we become aware that there are things going on that we cannot see, we cannot fully understand, we can't even get words around them. And which means because there are people who will abuse and take advantage of mystery for their own gain, their own profit, it means that we must be cautious about who we listen to, whose voice penetrates our hearing and tells us what to do. There's an old preacher story about a group of tourists who was going on a tour of the British Palace of Westminster. While they were looking around, the Lord Chancellor of Hailsham came out of his office on the way to an event and he was dressed in his full robe and regalia. And as he rounded the corner into the lobby of the House of Commons, he happened to look across the room and he spotted his friend, a member of Parliament, Neil Martin, across the room. He remembered that it was Martin's birthday that day, and so Lord Halisham waved to his friend and yelled out, Neil! And at that command, the entire group of tourists immediately fell to their knees and entered into prayer. Poetry invites us to contemplate the content of the message before we decide to listen and act. We must also be cautious that we know whose voice it is that we are hearing, and if it is a voice, we should honor. 
It was the summer of 1981. I was 15 years old and the decision was made in our household to acquire a car that I would drive when I got my license shortly thereafter. It would be called my car, but it would be owned and insured by my parents. And it would be enforced by my parents. A family friend had fallen on hard times and was needing desperately to sell his 74 Mustang II. A great car, he said. And we went to visit and look at the car and he talked about engine power and reliability and safety. And he used words like strut and positrack and V6 and torque said that he had done some work to stabilize cornering and improve engine performance. I hung on his every word, nodding my head to show understanding, memorizing what he said so that no one would think I was not in the know. My father did in fact buy the car and rather quickly, we discovered the car had some problems. Looking through the stack of receipts, which our friend had meticulously jammed into the glove box, revealed the work that he had done to the car to correct cornering and improve engine performance <laughs> turned out to have been a tire repair and a bottle of STP Slick 50, which comes in handy in concealing the knock when you've spun an engine bearing. I learned a lot in that process. The first thing I learned was how to rebuild an engine and a manual transmission. I also learned to not buy a car out of loyalty to someone who sounds good and desperate. Our friend had a general understanding of a car. There was a motor and he understood that pressing the gas pedal made it go faster and that turning the wheel made you go left or right. Beyond that, he knew a lot of the words that he had heard other people say or had gathered from reading Hot Rod magazine but he was not someone who should be listened to about the details of a car. I learned also that a car should be taken to a knowledgeable, trusted mechanic before purchase is made. It is neat that someone might want to utter God's name and attach that to words of power and guidance and instruction makes them feel very important and in power. It is neat to say that we pray. It is neat to ooh and ah about things that people attribute to God. But we must be informed. We must be intentional. We must be trained to listen, to see. We must consult with people who are equipped to discern between pipe dreams 
and divine intervention, trained to contemplate when it really is God's movement in our midst, God's call to us, as opposed to when it is someone's imagination or someone's desperation or someone's desire to make a profit. Somehow, some way, as a young man, Jeremiah tapped into this poetic side, became open, intimately aware of God's movement, became informed enough to hear and sense and recognize God's voice. Jeremiah does, in fact, speak to his dishonest countrymen and a dishonest king. He says, our standard is different. We guard against the ways of the nation Babylon. We keep watch for liars who ambush and attack the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord speaks to us. Words of warning. O you who dwell by many waters, who are rich in treasures taken from the vulnerable by your threat of destruction. Your end has come. Your end has been declared by the Lord. The threat of your life, the thread of your life is cut. We hear this and we think, oh my gosh, the prophet Jeremiah, wow, that must be difficult. But it is not difficult to familiarize ourselves with biblical poetry while spending time with God. That's right. That's what Jeremiah did. Jeremiah is another person listed among the biblical greats, rooted in spending time with God, entering an intimacy with God, coming to know God's heart, and then being unable to get words around what was happening in God's heart, in his heart, Jeremiah's heart, and in his soul, used poetry. Like Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? How else can you stand against a wicked nation and their king? Or Psalm 121, a psalm of comfort, I lift my eyes unto the hills. From whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. That's right. God calls prophets. God forms prophets. And all of it happens in that time we spend with God. May the Spirit of God, whom we know in the person of Jesus Christ, go before to show you the way, behind to nudge you forward when you are too frightened to move, above to watch over you, beside to be sometimes the only friend you have in this world, and within to give you peace be always in the peace of Christ. Amen.